0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. What's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. Welcome everybody to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. It's the off season, folks. Lots to talk about today. Uh, I'm Nick Morgan, joined, as always, by the donkey to my Shrek, Sean Smith. Sean.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going fantastic. And big news today, Sean, because yeah? we have a Puss in Boots to join Donkey and Shrek this week. <laughs> oh, man, you yeah. you really, really just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, on the 4Check fans know him very well. He's currently writing for A to Z Sports. Alex Doherty. Alex.
2: Hey, how's it going? I, I think I'm probably more like Lord Farquaad, maybe. No, you don't You don't get to choose. I've noticed with, with Nick, no.
1: he just kind of gives it to
2: you and you just have to
1: take it. It's really Got uncomfortable. It. I don't enjoy it at all, but it's whatever.
0: <laughs> you have better flow, better hair flow than Lord Farquaad, though. So. Okay. All right. So take he has up. pretty
2: good flow, so I, I must be doing pretty good.
0: He does. That's a big compliment. So.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you. Uh, I wish we had uh, better stuff to talk about, but uh, it's not been the best weeks headline-wise for the Nashville Predators. Obviously, we got some playoff stuff to talk to you, but we'll start with the big news of today, and that is that the NHL put out the Vezina Trophy finalist, UC Soros, not on there, not one of the three. Uh, I think we speak for everybody when I say maybe a long shot to win the whole thing but bit of a surprise that he wasn't one of the top three. And Alex, I've been on your Twitter. I, I know you feel some
2: strong way about this. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was honestly like pretty shocked that he wasn't on there. I mean, the name that the name that stood out on that list to me that should not have been on there is Philip Grubauer. And he, he's had a fine season. Um, uh, but I thought, and uh, now I can't even remember who the other finalists are, but, uh, I guess it's as it Grubauer, Vasilevsky, and Marc Andre Fleury. Is that right?
0: That is correct. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, Fleury doesn't surprise me just because he he was you know such a workhorse for Vegas all year, and they, you know they were very good, and you know he's just he's the guy. But then he like doesn't even get a start. He they they sat him in the playoff game. I thought that was interesting. But um, Fleury and Vasilevsky make sense. I just like you see, Soros is is like so clearly been better than Philip Grubauer all season Grubauer getting the benefit of playing on probably the Stanley cup winning team. Uh, I mean, he had, I think he had 29 wins this year. I think Saros had like 21. That's about the only category that he, that he beat him in. I mean, like every other category, goals saved above average, overall save percentage, five on five, save percentage, high danger, save percentage, all that stuff. Soros is better than, than Grubauer. He's also better than the other two, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so stupid, man. I I mean, I don't know.
0: Exactly. it's,
2: It's so stupid because the G the GMs vote on Vezina trophy. They look at basically wins and shutouts. And then they just like ask around, Hey, who's been good? And uh, since Nashville wasn't very good most of the season, they didn't talk about UC Soros. So it's very silly.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm surprised. And when I when I look at the wording for who wins the Vesna Trophy, it's the goaltender who's adjudged to be the best at this position. And I, I have to say, you know, Alex threw out a lot of different stats where Soros was leading the competition. But the reality is, you know, You're going to get judged on your wins, and if you are the most valuable or the, the best at your position, then your team should be winning more when you're in the net, I suppose is how they're looking at it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it's, you know, like how deep do you really think they're going to go in this? Well, my guy's got 30 wins. He should clearly be up there. It's probably you know, the most realistic way that meeting goes, you know, like, oh, your guy has 21 wins. So why should he be there? We got guys with 30, yeah. 29, 28. It's not happening. Sorry. Sorry, David Boyle, sit down. Um, so I, I'm afraid that as much as we can make that argument about all of these other stats where Soros is, you know, definitely in the front of that race, it's just not going to happen until you have the wins.
2: That, that's true, but the the wins thing. Look, I, I looked at that too, and like wh- while wins obviously corresponds very high to being a final finalist, it doesn't determine the winner always. So like, it's not just as simple as okay, well, who had the most wins, they get the Vezina. It's not like the Rocket Richard Trophy It's just who had the most goals. It, it's it's different. Like th- there has to be other factors they're looking at. I mean, like there there's a reason why it's not just straight across the board. The wins leader every year wins the Vezina. See that didn't happen. Um, and I, I don't know what the factors are uh, that that don't um that 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 they also look at. I mean they must be looking at something else. I think it's shutouts. I think they look at shutouts and okay. wins. I think they probably glance at save percentage. They probably glance at save percentage and then are like, yeah, maybe this guy should be in there. I, I bet Soros gets fourth. I bet he's like right on the cusp. I think I think he probably has finishes fourth in voting. That's my will, guess. Will they show that at the end of everything? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's the about they put I'm, all the votes. Yeah. Everyone who yeah. got votes.
1: I'm curious. I mean, I guess if you look at skaters, you know, realistically, we all know, and I'm sure Brian would agree that plus minus is the king of stats for skaters. So I'm <laughs> sure that if you go, you go with that same logic, I feel like he's going to show up at my house and, uh, and and beat me physically. Just start um, preaching
0: but, goals against there you you might just pop up.
1: Oh, boy, but here's here's the thing. I think for goalies the king of stats is wins and losses. So that's probably how they're looking at that too. Yeah. Well, I know
0: well I know Alex mentioned shutouts and everybody's pointing out, I think Grubauer had either seven or eight. I can't remember the exact number. And yeah, Saras, I bet that's one, that's probably, and Saras, probably did it. Yeah. And Saros yeah. only had 3, but at the same time if you're voting on this, what's more impressive? Stopping 20 of 20 shots like Grubauer or stopping 44 of 45? like Saros yeah. did for many nights. He didn't get the shutout, but he made like 44 saves consistently.
2: Yeah. One of the reasons that Colorado got so many shutouts is because they ran out of pucks because Colorado's offense was putting them all in the other net. Yeah. And having time,
0: having three guys who could reasonably win a Norris trophy in the next five years. Probably yeah, helps the defensive stats too. But uh, like, like you said, Sean, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see where Soros did wind up when those votes came out. Um, you know, I, I do think he finished fourth. And I, on the other side, I do think there is an argument for all three guys who made the finalists. I'm just not saying I totally agree with that argument. I, I do think Soros was one of the three best goalies. And by the end of the year, I don't really think you can deny it.
1: I, I would agree with that statement. I think he, you could you could say he's one of the three best goalies, especially if you're looking at the back half of the season. But, you know, they're, they're going to say that it's the whole season long kind of thing and, and whatever. But, you know, what's important is that everybody had a good time and someone's going to win a trophy.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of everybody had a good time, what a season for the Nashville Predators, huh? I think we went through about 10 years worth of storylines just in the past five months we had a rebuild in there somewhere, we had a late season playoff run. Uh four four overtimes, just everything in between. But and I want to ask you guys and and Alex I'll ask you first. Now that we've had, you know, a couple of days to sit back, reflect, really digest everything this year. What are what are your thoughts on this season? How do you judge this?
2: Um uh okay, so I, I really I I try not to get into the success or failure um like uh binary choice there. I, I know that's not what you're asking, but in in the interest of uh appealing to that crowd, I think any time you make the playoffs is is a, is a success and I I don't I would stand really firm on that no matter what. I think any any season you make the playoffs is a success. So in that regard, I think it was a good season. Um They did some things that, okay. So like the, the biggest thing, for example, I think that they accomplished this year is they firmly established that. Well, two things they firmly established one that they, they are going to move on from, from the Laviolette system. And they've, they've found a system that I think they are okay with. And I think we'll talk about John Hines, but I think that they've, they've gotten back towards like having a team identity that makes sense. I know Sean, you've heard a lot of, of John Hines talking about that. And uh, like I, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, don't discredit that as an accomplishment for this season because of how awful of a place this team was in when La Violette was fired. Like they were they they had they didn't know what they were. <laughs> and so I think that they accomplished that. They got that sort of like team identity back. The other thing is that I think one reason it's also a success is they've answered probably the biggest question that's been on everyone's mind for the last like three years. And that's, you know, what's going to happen with this goalie transition, this from Pecarine to UC Soros? Can Soros do it? Can Pecarine be okay hanging it up? Or is he going to drag his feet? And like that, all of those questions answered completely this year. Soros is the guy. He's the guy moving forward. Pecorine probably leaving. Even if he's a backup, he won't be really a big part of the team. That's been established. It's not easy for that to happen, by the way, in sports. Like we've seen it across a lot of different sports. It's not always, doesn't always happen where like the incumbent is just like willing to make it happen. And, and then the young guy is good enough to to carry the torch. So that's a big accomplishment too. That That's th- those are the two things that I think I could take away from this season, finding their identity and establishing UC Soros as the goalie moving forward.
1: Well, yeah, first off, you know, Alex, you said something that really kind of struck me was that any year or any season where you make the playoffs as a successful season, I, I would, you know, I'd sign on to that completely. I don't know if the people in Toronto would sign on to that completely, but at least for Nashville, I'm going to say, yes, they made the playoffs, even though they, they put on a good, put on a good show in the playoffs. It was a good fight. Um, successful season in that sense. If I go back to the beginning of the season we talked about how, you know, look at this point you could finish anywhere from seventh to second in this, in this division. And if you end up going to the playoffs and that would kind of be the benchmark for success. Um, I would say it's successful in that sense. However, uh, yeah, I think you've answered those questions, um, about the goaltender situation. And I, I think back, you know, Alex, you said it was, that doesn't always happen easily. And I think back to, uh, the, the captaincy transition between Mike Fisher and Roman Yossi with Fisher coming back toward the end of the next season. And that was a situation if, if you're looking for an example, perfect situation to, to look at because you had someone, the outgoing captain leave and then talk very quickly about coming back when the team was seeing success. And then that already, a lot of people already like to complain about Roman Yosi's leadership for some reason, I guess because he's not as loud and angry on the ice or something. Um, but, He's too Swiss. He's too Swiss. You know, he's in the Swiss, remain neutral or something, World War II. I don't know. But the the reality is I think that Fisher's coming back, even though, like we said, wasn't really a big part of the team when he came back. It complicated that transition of power. He he was terrible. He was terrible when he came
2: back. You can say it.
1: Yeah, well, he he was. I think anybody would have my back on that. But, you know, the reality is – even though he was bad, I think it made that situation worse for Roman Yossi. And I think it, it allowed a lot. Oh, I'm glad Fisher's coming back because he's going to get that team in, in order like Yossi didn't or something. I mean, all, all stupid arguments, but they were all things I heard quite frequently, When he returned. And so you're really lucky and fortunate that, you know, everyone's always said from the start that Pecorino is a world class human being. And you're seeing that, you know, even more so as he has been very, very grace, gracious in this transition of, of goaltending, uh, you know, the goaltender spot to UC Soros. And it just really backs up what everybody said all along about him off the ice. It's always been the same on the ice, but now you see him in this transitional stage of his career. It still holds true.
0: So let me ask you guys this when we had the late run, I mean, obviously if we flash back to where we were in March, we were talking about rebuild Uh, Alex, I think you and I both put out pieces that basically said it's happening. Um, We were, we were both wrong on that. Um, But I'll ask you this. Do you feel better now about the future of this team than you did, let's say back in March? Uh,
2: I, I, I definitely do. Um, I would feel better about this team. I I would, I think there's more layers to it than that too. I, I think, I mean, I, I think you have to feel better about this team going back to the, the, the Dallas stars series in 2019. They were not even really competitive in that series, I and mean, they won a they won a couple games. It went to game, six games, but they were like not really that competitive. And Dallas, you know, Dallas eventually went to the Stanley Cup final. But or no, I'm sorry, that was the year after that year they didn't. <clears throat> uh, they, they they're they're significantly better from that day, and then they're they're better now than they were at the beginning of the season. Um, uh, I I think you have to feel pretty good about it moving forward. Um, it obviously depends on what happens in the off season, which we're going to talk about. But um, again, I think the the biggest question, the UC Soros question is, is like established. And that's your, that's one of your biggest pieces of your team moving forward. And that's been covered. Like they're, they're good there. Um, now they have to solve some of their cap issues and figure out what they're going to do with Seattle and maybe move some pieces around. But uh, yeah, I think you have to feel better.
1: Oh, I, I feel, I feel like I've, done a lot of talking and writing and tweeting and whatevering about the fact that I think the team's in a much better spot than they were. I mean there's there's no doubt. I, I know at one point I made an impassioned plea on the radio to not cheer for a tank. And so, you know, a lot of us did. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of us did. Um, But, you know, you're going from the extreme of saying, hey, guys, don't cheer for a tank. You want this team to do well. And here's why to the team doing well. And I think it's very easy to see the results of that. Um, So, you know, realistically, realistically here, what you're looking at is a team that has gone from needing a total tear down and rebuild to a team that. Maybe just needs to make some uh, painful cuts, I guess you could say, at least cuts that would be painful to the fan base um, and move forward uh, with kind of the bolstered youth presence that has uh, managed to manifest itself on the team, despite um, Poyle doing everything he could (laughs) in free agency to make that not happen.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk about that a little bit because that was the headline going into last offseason was David Poyle kind of hinted, hey, we're going to bring some of these guys who've been in Milwaukee. We're going to bring them up and we're going to give them a shot. Um, and then when you know Nick Cousins and Brad Richardson and Eric Howla came in, I think we we're all like, okay, where's uh, Phil Tomasino going to play? Where's Ellie Tolvanen going to play? But he, he wound up accomplishing the youth movement goal at least to some extent because ellie tolvin and i think you can pretty much assume is going to be a daily part of the lineup next year um alex carrier assuming he's still on the roster we'll get to that because there is some expansion issues with him Mm. um you know he's he's a top four defenseman i mean he showed it like he proven it. it's not like a Dante Fabro situation where, you know, he came in, played sparingly, and then was thrown into a top-four role. I mean, Carrier came in and was a top-four defenseman. And, you know, when I went back and watched his games, there's maybe, you know, the glaring mistakes he made. I could probably count on one hand, which is fantastic for a first-year player. And then you also have guys like David Ference, Jeremy Davies, who came up and played well. Rem Pitlick, I think, when he was in the lineup, played great. Tanner Janot. I mean, there's all these – don't know like everybody's talking about, oh, Poyle just lucked into it. But at the end of the day, the friends got where they wanted to be. And that's have some youth get their feet wet, prove they can play. And all of a sudden you have all these young players to build around.
2: Yeah, I, I've actually gone down this road about the, the youth movement thing. And I, I guess I don't I don't feel like trying to rehash all that because I've I have tried to make my point so many different times so many different ways and I just can't make it clear but I, I know what it looks like in my head but yeah. <laughs> essentially like that the that the youth movement happened simultaneous to uh, some older players also not playing well or being injured so I don't know it's it's hard to explain but basically the youth movement happened like alongside uh, a bunch of other things happening that people just kind of ignore. But uh, yeah, I, I think the youth movement's like definitely on the way. I think it's going to be even more now. I mean, um, I, I thought that Tomasino would get his debut this year. I don't think that uh, he'll – obviously that didn't happen. Um, I, I don't know where he's going to fit next year. I would assume he gets a pretty solid shot at the roster. But you feel like you'd want to get his debut out of the way first uh, if you're going to do that. So that's kind of confusing. Um yeah, I, the, there's there's going to be a big, uh, a large number of contributors next year that are uh, are going to be guys we've seen this year. Um, I mean, Jakob Trennan, uh, Tanner Janot, maybe Matthew Olivier if they re-sign him. Um, those guys are going to be a big part of it. Uh, I, I doubt Eric Hall is back because that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. But maybe Nick Cousins is already un- under a contract for next year. Mikhail Granlin, maybe they re-sign him. He's only 28, um, so. it'll be interesting to see how much younger they get in the off season.
0: Agreed. And that's, uh, that's something we're going to have to watch. And I'm glad you mentioned that because a little bit later, we're going to be talking about individual players and their chances on like what percentage chance do we think they're going to be back on the team next year? Uh, That's coming up in a little bit for now though. Let's look back on the Carolina series because that in itself was kind of a microcosm of the Preds entire season. Terrible start. You know, even though I think there's some dissent between different people on whether game two was good or not. Um, And then all of a sudden you just kind of see the team do a couple things differently. You flip a switch and the Preds are back in it, made it a series. I don't think anybody can sit here and say that the Preds got killed this series. Probably one of the closer 4-2 series there were. Um, But Sean, I want to ask you this. When you look back, what were kind of the one or two things that you noticed that eventually shifted the favor to Carolina?
1: Well, you know, the first thing I noticed um, was the return of Jacob Slavin. Um, You know, they were without him for a while. And uh, once the team, once the Predators kind of got going, um, they looked pretty fierce. And when I heard that Slavin was coming back, I thought to myself, you know, I really hope, you know, we we talked so much at the beginning of the series about certain players, you know, being substituted into the lineup for the Predators, not being the difference maker that was going to push the team over in any situation. And I think that held true for the most part. But when I heard that Slavin was back on the ice and was taking warmups, I knew that he could come in and be the one player they could add to that roster that would make the biggest difference. Because I don't think, especially at that position that Carolina has the depth that the predators have in any position. And I think that was really on full display going into that third and fourth game, but with Slavin back in that really shored up that defense. And I think that's what really, you know, I don't want to say that it was, that was the only thing that changed, but that was a big, big difference maker for the hurricanes. Was just adding Slavin back into the lineup.
2: The for for me the the <clears throat> the single thing that turned the series and made it more competitive for the Predators was moving Matt Duchesne to the top line. Um, when they switched that, when they made that switch, uh, putting Duchesne with Johansson and Forsberg, going into Game Three, it was 0-2. They were kind of getting just beaten all up and down the ice in both those games, except for like maybe like one period. Uh, they needed to change something, and John Hines does that, and it just works. Like instantly, it worked. And then the other thing is like when when you do something like that in mid mid series, you throw this like curveball at them that works. Then you've like you've switched the dynamic, regardless of what the series record is, like down o two or up to nothing. When you when you you've changed the dynamic of it, and I think Carolina had to do some catching up. I mean, like they. It, Sean's right that like getting Slavin back was a big part of it, but even with Slavin in the lineup in game five, they were, I mean, they should have won that game. Like they, they should have been, they, they should have won in, in regulation. They should have won in overtime. Like there, there were number of chances for that team to, to come out with a win and be up three to two going into game six. I think the change from Matthew Shane, moving to the top line, giving him finally some line mates that can score, uh, was the biggest factor that turned the series. And then, you know, Carolina got a bounce that went their way, and the series is over.
0: To me, it speaks to something John Hines said between games three and four. or I'm sorry, between games two and three. Numbers are hard. Don't listen to me. Um, it was He said – he admitted there's going to be strategy changes. I, I think he was specifically asked about the power play in that situation, but he said we're going to change – I can't remember the exact wording but he basically summarized by saying we're going to make strategic changes. And that was the first time that I've really heard him say we're going to change how we do things. You know, when when the predators in the past have kind of run into stuff where maybe us in the media wanted to hear him say, yeah, we're going to change things and we just kind of wound up with a few personnel changes, you know, a third liner scratched and replaced with another third liner or, you know, yarn croak moving up and down the lineup, something like that. This was the first time that I really heard him say, you know what, what I'm doing isn't working. What we're doing isn't working. We have to look at what we're doing. It might not be the personnel. It might be how we're playing. And to me, that was a big moment because that's accountability from your coaching staff. That's something we don't really hear a whole lot of, really in any circle around the league. You know, they 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 try to deflect a little bit from what they're doing, you know, try to deflect the players, maybe just say we need to execute more. This is the first time I've ever really heard John Hines say, We need to change the way we're doing things. And after that, I don't know if that was just a motivation, you know, if that just kicked the players into a higher gear, but you could see the difference. In, in strategy between games two and three. I mean, there is a lot more movement on the power play. Um, you know, they are setting things up a little bit differently, a little bit different strategy for four checking. You, you can say like all these little things. And that to me, that's, I think when the series really shift on, on its head.
2: I think, I, I mean, I think you have to be encouraged uh, with John Hines as a coach with not only how he did in a series, but with certain, certain moments throughout the, throughout the season, um, yes, obviously you can attribute most of the, I mean, all of the run really to the play of UC Soros, but I mean, there were other things that got better too. I mean, other things improved certain, certain players improved their game. Um, certain key players, I would say Mikhail Granlin looked a lot better, um, in the, in the regular season this year than he did when he first got here. Um, I, I, I think Roman Yossi obviously is just going to stay the way he stayed, but at got better. Ellis got better. And you needed those players to get better. And then some of the young guys, like you mentioned, uh Alex Carey. I mean, like th- that that guy just basically has established himself as a top four forward or top four defenseman now. So yeah, I, I think you have to be comfortable with John Hines moving forward because uh seeing his adjustments that he's made, not only in a season but in a series as well.
0: Sean, I know you're a big John Hines guy. You've been singing his praises <laughs> a lot during this run.
2: I am. Uh, you know,
1: I, I think the thing for me about Heinz, and, and I will admit that I have not been covering the team as long as Alex, for example. Um, so my, and especially like being the in the locker room after the game guy, you know, really right toward the end of Laviolette's tenure. I don't have the experience with Laviolette like like Alex does or even with like a lot of the other people that that have that access in nashville i don't go as far back as they do so i have to say this knowing that i was there toward the end of his tenure and that it was uh somewhat contentious especially with the media at times um i, I pretty much just kept my mouth shut um and just listened because i felt like that would be the best because i didn't want to poke the bear but something i caught on to with Hines very early on in his tenure with the team was that he was pretty straightforward with things, um, but he still had the ability uh, when it came to, you know, this is who's going on the ice or this is why I made this decision. He played that pretty close to his chest. And I I think, you know, realistically, I think that's okay because you don't want to give too much of, you know, why you're doing what you're doing away because you're kind of tipping your, you know, showing your cards to the other team at that point. But they're, is a level of accountability for him where and it's it's matured I think from last season to this season and Alex you may remember looking at the qualifying round last year when people were starting to question the lack of lineup changes he made a comment about putting the guys on the ice each night that he thinks have the best chance to win the game for the team and we all kind of thought that sounded a little crazy because clearly there were better options um, and so I, I really got the feeling like, oh, maybe he's kind of losing touch with this whole being open and honest kind of thing with, with the media. But you saw this season, I think, you know, you saw him in at, after game two be really, I don't want to say confrontational, but he was very straightforward about, you know, look, you're leveling criticisms and I don't agree with them. I don't appreciate it and kind of done here for the night. But The next day, just after getting a chance to get home, get a night of sleep, that's when he made those comments about making changes. And it's almost like, you know, once the anger had subsided, he and the rest of the coaching staff were able to come together and say, "Okay, what's the problem? What happened? And instead of just saying, clearly, we did nothing wrong. It must be the players. They did say, "Okay, we've got to do something different. We've got to play a little bit differently. What do we need to do? And And like Nick said, I don't think you see a lot of that. And I think if you look at his messaging from the beginning of the season, the things that he was talking about back when the team was still kind of married to that, that point shot mentality, um, he never wavered in what his vision was for the team. And it, it took a while for the team to catch up to that. But I think if you look at what's happened toward the end of the season, everybody got on board with it. And again, we mentioned earlier, it's it's moving back from the uh, that aspect at the beginning of the season where you know we're not married to that Laviolette style anymore. Uh,
2: I, I I just want to throw something out there real quick before we can we can move on uh, after that if you if you want. But I just wanted to say so like I've only covered two coaches. I've covered Laviolette and now Hines. I start my my first year covering the team was Laviolette's first year in in 2014 15, and uh, the, the the difference like could not be bigger. I mean there, there's such a massive difference in. Um, how the, how they kind of run their teams. I, I think of it like this. I, I think of, of lobby. as just like a, 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 a dictator <laughs> as like an authoritarian dictator. He wants to control every aspect of his team from the media side, from the internal side, from the uh, front office side. He wanted, he wanted to, I mean, he basically probably told Peter, uh, David Poyle to go get Zach Ronaldo. I can't imagine David Poe thinking that was a good idea. Um, like he basically just wanted to control every aspect of that team. But the problem is, if you lose the locker room and you're the control guy, you're the authoritarian, and you lose that locker room, that's when things go really bad quickly. And that's what happened. The reason I think Hines is better is he's much more of a facilitator. Like he's a, he's a, I'm going to, I'm going to lead this ship, but I'm going to put you in charge of the sales. And I'm going to put this guy in charge of swabbing the deck. And this guy's going to be my right hand, my man, this guy's my navigator. This guy's, he's a delegator. He's a facilitator of the whole system. And it's not a, it's not a way to like avoid, um, accountability. I think it's just a, it's the only way to do it. Like you can't be in control of everything. You can't be, you you can't be the guy that like is ultimately responsible for everything. And rely on your internal leadership and make those leaders step up and and play their role on the team, um, which I think is I think you have to be happy with that if you're if if you're a fan of this team, like thinking that John Hines might be the guy for the future because I think that that's a good way to approach it.
0: You know what? I think that we really kind of underestimate how much of a Ted Lasso teams really need sometimes.
2: That's a great point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is, you know, speaking of uh, coaches and saying stuff to the press, does anybody really think that what Rod Brindamore said about the officiating played a big role in the series?
1: I don't. Is is anybody willing to
0: die on that Hill?
1: No, no. No.
0: No. Okay. I mean, it's, it (laughs) became a thing, I think just because people in articles and, and on Twitter were making it a thing, but I mean, The officiating was inconsistent, I'll say that, but I don't think it was a situation where one person swayed it or anything like that.
1: No, and I think you got a chance, though, with that complaint from Brendamore to see the difference in those two coaches. And you, you get to see Brendamore, which a lot of people have argued, and I mean, they're not necessarily wrong, that's just gamesmanship on his part. You know, like if he can bring that element into it where the ref, the refs are starting to question, oh, do I need to call this? Should I not call this? And is he really giving his team an advantage that they that they don't even have to worry about, you know, from the player side of things? But, you know, Brenda Moore wanted to make excuses, um, even when his team won a game, which seemed really odd to me. Um, but, you know, Hines stuck on that message of we're going to control what we can control. And we're not going to worry about anything else. And I think that, you know, you talk about the coach for the future of your team or the coach moving forward. That's the kind of attitude I want out of a coach. I want him to inspire the players not to complain about petty things, but just focus on, okay, adversity comes our way. We deal with it. We go on. And speaking of Ted Lasso, I just started
2: watching that right before we recorded this. So I'm really Ooh. excited to finish it
0: now. So, so we got to make sure we don't drop any spoilers.
2: I think, I, I think Ted Lasso might be my favorite. Like if people talk about their favorite, like sports movies. It might be my, it, like, if it, if you consider that a movie, because it kind of is, it's like a, you know, eight, whatever part series, like I would, it would be one of my favorite sports movies
1: at this point. I can't wait to finish watching it. It's fantastic.
2: Especially given this conversation.
0: <laughs> it's the sports fans version of Shit's Creek. It really is just the show that makes you feel good.
2: I haven't watched that yet either.
0: Well, you sound like you need uh, to clear out the old DVR sometime soon.
1: Well, I'll do what I can.
0: Well, let's uh let's move forward. Well, actually before we do, uh one one last thing. Does anybody want to say anything about Carolina's social media? I I don't know why that became a thing, but does anybody want to comment on it? Yeah, I'll
1: I'll say something. And it Okay. It, I you know, I I guess and I you know, Alex, you're probably not a part of this, but, you know, all of us softies over here at on the forecheck, um, you know, <laughs> I, I look at the I look at that post from the Kane social media and, uh, you know, banner jokes. They're not really funny anymore. Like, I don't like I don't get them. I don't think it just doesn't make sense to keep beating that dead horse when every single team has banners like that hanging from their rafters, including Carolina. You know, if you want to get really crazy here you could take a look at the banners they do have and one of them does say stanley cup champions and that's great but i guarantee you after they get knocked out of this playoff series they're going to raise a banner next year and it's probably going to say something about being the division champions or something like that and so it's it's fine and dandy to say oh yeah a few years ago they hung up three banners and they didn't win the cup okay cool great story But that to me, like, that's just, you know, it's an it's clown shoes. It's not funny. People just expect it at this point. So, you know, you make you wear the clown shoes. Nobody goes, oh, my God, look at that clown shoes. They're incredibly big and red. What a what a hilarious comedic thing. I can't stop laughing. Um, But you just expect, you know, trash people to make trash jokes at this point. So uh, there's that. But then the thing that got me was and everything I've heard and everything I understand it was a a Photoshop job that prompted the uh, the whole thing about the Preds blocking them on Instagram, and so you know that that was I don't know. There's a lot of backlash to that. A lot of people saying, "Oh, the Preds' social media lost" or whatever. But uh, I don't know. It's it's weird to uh, it, you, you know the number one rule in comedy from everything. I've always heard and I've I've watched a lot of comedy, I've listened to a lot of comedians talk. You never punch down. You always punch up. So if you want to punch on on an equal footing while you're playing a team, that's fine. But when that series is over and those players shake hands on the ice, that should be the end of it. You wanna you wanna attack after that, you're just punching down, and that's just a bad look, in my opinion. Maybe um, I'm wrong.
2: Well, only thing I'll add is about the the banner thing. Uh the one thing is First of all, it's not that original of a tweet. Like uh, half of hockey Twitter has made Photoshop versions of a banner um, of Nashville saying whatever, whatever. Insert joke here. Uh, They're just the first social media account to do it. So, like, first of all, you lose points for originality. Not that good of a tweet. Secondly, the banner thing. Like, yeah, I I will never understand why people um, uh, care about how one team decides to decorate their building. Like, why do you care if we want to put a banner that says most hot dogs consumed at a, at a hockey game, who cares? Go, go for it. Like, I don't, I don't care on that note. Yes, you're right. Like Chicago, the United center, uh, the American airlines center, Dallas, uh, the Boston, the TD garden in Boston, all of these places have stanley cup banners and they also have like regular season conference banners and division banners and all that stuff so like it's stupid like what why does nashville get uh criticized for it because they don't have a stanley cup banner yet that's the only reason
0: yeah i mean it's the end of the day it's a social media account trolling another team to get a few clicks get a few likes you know it, it it's whatever i mean it's I think there are other jokes out there if you wanted to make Nashville jokes, but uh, we don't want to be called soft, so let's move on to the next topic.
1: You've got to be hard.
0: Got to be hard. Got to be hard. According to, the, according to the one guy on Twitter.
1: Well, no, there were there were two more, but they were just late entries to the contest. Either, either
0: way, it was by a guy who skipped leg day. So oh, know, if we boy. want to talk about going hard, oh. you know, do some squats, pal. Um, I'm sure I'll get a tweet for that. <laughs> Hey, the off season's coming up. Uh and this is this is one that's going to be interesting for David Boyle. We're going to talk about specific players here in a little bit, but um you know, I've been following the team since they came in and I can't remember an off season where there's just so much happening that could have a ripple effect on a lot of players. And let's start with the expansion draft because that's going to be what seems like the first order of business. Alex, I'll ask with you, because I think this was you on Twitter that mentioned this the other day. Back in 2017, it was a pretty easy expansion list for the Preds. I mean, it was just a matter of YarnCrow versus Neil. Which one did you like better? This year, there's just so many directions that you can go.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, in 2017, it was a pretty simple... It, it wasn't simple in the fact that I think the Predators were worried they were going to lose someone. I mean, I, I think it's, it's different now because I think they're kind of wanting Seattle to take someone in particular. Um, but yeah, Vegas was very a very difficult situation for them because they didn't want to lose James Neal. They didn't want to use Cal Yarncroak, They didn't want to lose anyone else. Uh, but the rules were the rules. And, um Vegas wouldn't return their phone calls. So uh, th- that was, they were just kind of SOL and they, they lost James Neal. This is different because um, David Poyle has an incentive now to really work with Seattle. And I would think that Ron Francis, the GM for Seattle will want to listen to what David Poyle has to say, because Poyle's going to want to sweeten the pot for them to take a high dollar contract, whether it be um, Matt Duchesne, ryan johansson i could see them trading someone like ryan ellis uh i could see them getting rid of victor arvidson's contract um not that it's a bad one just um because i think they might try to trade him um and they'll they'll sweeten the pot you know we'll give you a draft pick we'll give you a a prospect to to take one of these two guys so like or one of these any number of guys um so yeah it's very different uh i'm really interested to see what their protection list is going to be However. Keep in mind the protection list might not matter because they, if they have a deal in place, you know it doesn't matter who they expose. They're already telling them to to pick a certain player. Uh, tons of teams did that with Vegas, um, but again, they probably well, didn't have any leverage, and so George McPhee never <laughs> never picked up the phone.
1: I, I guess the thing for me, and this is a question that I have, and maybe this is just me, maybe everybody knows this and I don't. Is there an order that? they're going to have to pick in, like, do they have to start with a certain team and then go to the next team? Or is there, I don't don't. know. I don't it think it's like
0: an official draft. I think it's just yeah. you look at each team's list and kind of pick and choose. I want
2: to say it's alphabetical. I think they just – like on the night of the actual expansion draft, like all the teams are just in, in order alphabetically.
0: Okay. That's how Vegas was, but I'm, I'm sure it's – I think it's like you have to pick X number of forwards, X number of defensemen. What? Yeah, yeah, how,
2: how, how it will work like functionally is, is on the 17th, four days before the draft, all the teams submit their protection lists, their official lists – Okay. Uh and then everyone speculates about who's gonna pick who or oh. who they're gonna pick and then uh and then the actual draft and they, they announce who they're gonna pick and um you know it's just like it's it's not the most riveting uh you no. know television, but
1: yeah, well I mean, yeah. I mean I guess it's not the same as like the amateur draft or anything, but yeah. I, I guess the thing is it's it's you have to base what the predators are, are going to lose in this or what they're going to choose from Nashville on what they're going to choose from everybody else. And I, I'm not like I don't have the breadth of knowledge needed on every single team and every single team's like protection. Like it's hard for me to to make that decision and say, well, based on what they're going to do with everybody else, this is what they're going to do with Nashville. So, um, you know, if I'm looking at it, yeah, you want to shed a big contract and in every conversation anyone's ever had with me, you're like, well, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, well, you know, $8 million uh, would be a really nice chunk of change to spend um, you know, in the off season, if you were looking at rebuilding this team, um, and this may be one of your last really good chances to deal someone like that. Um, but I also have to think too, you know, you mentioned trading Ellis and and Ellis is my son's favorite player and he would be absolutely heartbroken. My, my wife has already had conversations with him about it. It's, it's not a good situation, but
2: I don't think that's going to happen by the way. I, I, I I just, I threw that name out there. I mean, it's a possibility, but like I would guess probably four or five other guys first.
1: True. But you have to, you know, there is a major logjam in this team's defense where you have so many prospects down at the lower levels that want a chance. I mean, Carrier's been in Milwaukee for years. You know the the first thing I ever did when I started on the forecheck was was I went to like the Future Stars camper or whatever they call that, and I was really excited to see Kerry I wanted to see how he played. I expected to see him coming up to Nashville soon, and that was uh, after the Cup run. That was the 2017 2018 season, and you're looking at him getting his first real shot in 2021. And, and that to me shows you how big of a log jam there is defensively to where the team may need to make some room in their defensive core to be able to get some of these guys moved up or conversely, that could be someone that you're trading in order to sweeten the pot on someone else as one of your really strong defensive prospects, which I'm tired of getting rid of really strong offensive prospects.
2: But I, I just, I, uh, right. I, 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 th- that's why, like any conversation I have about this, um, and I'm sure you get questions too, Sean. I just think the, the emphasis should be on David Poyle working a deal, so that the protection list doesn't matter, um, right? Because like, there's so many options. Like, I mean, if if you look, if you just really try to dive in and like, should they do eight skaters or should they do seven forwards, three defensemen? Like, you are gonna have a have heartbreak over who's exposed because like, it's just impossible to like, you're gonna lose. Elliot Tolvanen, or you're going to lose Dante Fabro or Alex Carrier, or you're going to lose, uh, Victor Arvidsson, or you're going to lose name, name your guy, Yakov Trenin. He could be, he could be taken. I mean, like there's so many options that, uh, that Seattle could just like pilch from you. And that's why I think he has to get on the phone and work a deal. And he might've already done that because he seems very confident in that he's already got it figured out. He does. Yeah. I mean, you've heard him say that, right? Like he seems like pretty sure that he's already knows what he's going to do. So I wonder if he's already got a deal in place, um, which would be good. And I I think that would be, uh, that's the best way to do it. He's got to work a deal so that uh, he doesn't, it's not a, he's not in a guessing game on the day of.
1: Yeah. He doesn't want to be caught in that situation again. And I I really think the, I think David Poyle's future kind of hinges on managing this well, in in my opinion.
0: Right. And we're running a little short on time. So I want to keep this brief, but There's two points I wanted to bring up. One, to echo what Alex said, if you're ever going to make a deal, this is the draft year you want to do this. Because A, it's not a strong draft class and and you have a mid first round pick. And two, this is kind of a quick question I want to answer to. We saw some teams get fleeced back in 2017. I mean, the Wild lost both Alex Tuck and Eric Howla. Yeah. Uh, Florida lost more or less everyone. They lost Every, a ton of guys. They lost a ton of guys trying to keep. Uh, I think Alex Petrovich was the fourth defenseman they wanted to keep, and they wound up losing Martyrs. So and Riley Smith. Uh, Anaheim obviously lost Shea Thador. I still have Jose Tador on my mind whenever I see the name Theodore on the ice. So I want to, real quick, want to ask, do you think some of that storyline from 2017 is going to change how GMs approach this year's expansion draft? Do you think they're going to be any more or less cautious because of that?
2: Uh, So I I think that, I don't know about that, but I do know that uh, Seattle will probably try to follow the same route that Vegas did. And if you remember Vegas just acquired so much draft capital, they had, they had so many draft picks in that draft and then in the next two drafts where they, they got all kinds of really good players. Like they they acquired so much draft capital. So Seattle is smart and that's a good thing to do. Seattle smart. They will, they will definitely talk to people who are willing to send them draft picks in order to, to not select certain players.
1: I'm I'm going to keep it real brief because I think every move every GM has made since the Vegas draft has been with eyes on the Seattle draft.
0: Interesting, and I don't disagree with that. But we're going to get into a little bit more of this in just a few seconds. We're going to take a quick break. Um, Alex, I don't know if you know this, but we have a tradition here in the, on the Forecheck Podcast. Well. We started it after you left the on the four check podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a trivia question going to break. Okay. So this one is for you and Sean. We've had a lot of overtime games, this playoff series, this past playoff series. So there's two players tied in predators history for most playoff overtime points. Can you name the two players? Think about it and give me an answer on the other side of the break. Welcome back, everybody. Before the break, I asked what two players have the team record for most career playoff overtime points. Do you guys have any guesses?
2: Okay, so I can name almost all the goals. So, like, I I know Kevin Fiala had two. I know Craig Smith had one. Mike Fisher had one. Obviously, Matt Duchesne had one. And, uh, well now I've, I've forgotten who just scored the other one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Luke <laughs> Cunningham. Luke yes. This is definitely not Luke Cunningham. He only has one. Uh, I mean, I think an educated guess would be one of the, one of the two defensemen, either, either Ekholm or Yosi. but uh, I'll let, I'll let Sean do some figuring as well.
1: Um I was I was going to say the safe bet would be Yosi and then the <laughs> the backup was also going to be Ekholm. So I think I think beyond that if you get past those two um you know I don't know that that seems right to me but I don't know.
2: Well I am mean, thinking well, hold on I I, I let, me, let me commit to my my name here. So so if y'all had two goals and I'm trying to think he would have been gone he wouldn't have been on the line with He he wasn't in town when Craig Smith scored that one. I don't think he was out there when Mike Fisher scored either. So he would just have two, but two might be enough. I'm going to go with Kevin Fiala. Sean? I'm going to go with Yossi.
0: Well, your guy, one of your guesses were both right. Matthias Eckholm. Three assists. Mm. The other one you did not get. Oh. And this, here's a hint. He has not scored a goal. All three of his points have been secondary assists. Wow! Huh.
2: Is it Ryan um, Ellis?
0: He is our beloved manager's favorite player.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm uh,
0: Callie
1: <laughs> Callie Yarncroke. Oh, Callie Yarn. Oh, okay. Of course, it's Callie Yarncroke. Callie
0: oh. Yarncroke and Matthias Eckholm each have three assists. That three points is tied for the no. most playoff points. Of all time there you go.
1: and by beloved manager, you mean Kate, right? I do mean Kate. Okay,
0: yes. I was
2: confused. I was like, David Poyle's favorite player? Yeah, I, didn't
0: yeah. uh, I mean, he does love some yarn croak Also, <laughs> fun fact: one of the players tied for second, Nick Spalling. Mm. There's there is not an answer. Yeah, he, I he, is,
2: he definitely assisted on the Smithson goal.
0: He did the Smithson goal and the Hallis shut goal. So, pretty good uh, playoff okay, run for okay. that line. All right. Well. um As we mentioned earlier, probably a good chance there's going to be some roster turnover this year. There's expansion. There's a chance for a big trade. Probably not a buyout, but, you know, weirder things have happened. So I want to play a game with you two. I'm going to give you guys a Preds player. You guys tell me in a percentage number how likely you think that player is on the team next year so for for example if i said roman yossi one of you might say 99.9 chance he's on the team next year because i don't think roman yossi is leaving the nashville predators unless Connor mcdavid's available or something weird um so that's how we go are you guys ready
1: this this has really yeah. strong potential to show up on like old takes exposed or something. It's
0: well, hey, and anyway, we'll see his good pull up as lead. As long as we don't get called soft, I think we're good.
1: Oh, you gotta gotta be
0: hard. Gotta be hard on this, guys. Yeah. All right, player one. Mikhail Granland. Alex, you first.
2: Uh Mikhail Granland. All right, so um, Percentage chance that he's on the team next year. I think he's actually pretty good. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if Mikhail Grandlin wants to come back and if they are able to offload some money, that they have the money to sign him, even if it's an, a pay increase. He was a huge part of this team in the regular season, especially when they were really bad. Um, I'm going to go 75% that he's going to be on the team. For
1: all of the same reasons that Alex just gave, I'm going to say 64%
2: of his number. Oh. oh. Mainly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like Yossi making uh what was it, nine point oh five nine million dollars for his mm-hmm. deal. Uh I'm with you guys. I think it's probably I'm gonna say seventy percent he's back because I think both sides want him back. Let's uh stick with the unrestricted uh free agent from Finland category, Eric Howla.
2: I'm 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 going to say zero, zero percent. Okay. Not zero, 5%, 5% that he'll be back. Why? Why you say 5%? I just don't, I don't think that they're going to want to keep him. I, I, I think that uh, there's, they have too many other pieces that can fit in. Um, I think it was a good experiment. I don't think he was bad, but like, I think they have too many other pieces that they probably want to move up. I just don't think, I don't think it makes any sense.
1: So quick side question. And I don't know, maybe, Maybe Nick's gonna tell us we can't talk about this right now. But do you think <laughs> that signing Halla was a big part of getting Granlin to come back? Huh?
2: Uh, um,
0: maybe.
1: I don't know. I just I don't know. I wonder if that's like a package deal. Like, okay, you know, I'm I'm really interested in re-signing. You're gonna keep my boy Eric here, or do I need to go somewhere else? Like, I don't I don't know if he's gonna pull something like that. But I've always wondered because it seemed like those two signings came really close to each other. And, it, could,
2: it could be a factor. It could be a factor. I don't I mean, know.
0: I don't think it's a Parise suitor situation or when USC basketball recruited Little Romeo so they can get Demar Derozan. But you know, I think they talked. I think they just said, "Hey, this is a decent place if you want to try."
2: Hmm. Um, Maybe. I'm not. I'm definitely not um, uh, denying that it, it's a that it could be true. Like, there's something. There could be something to that. Yeah.
1: So I, I don't know, but I, I think you're probably right. I think there's a much smaller chance of him being on, on the team um, than Grandland next year. So I'd say you're probably about right. I give make it a little bit higher, maybe 5.6%.
0: I'm going to go 5% too, uh, for the same reasons. And it's not that I don't think they, it's not the fact that they don't like Eric Howler or anything like that. I just think there's other options that you can put there from within. Uh, Let's go to a restricted free agent who has been, um, kind of up and down on the Twitter talk, Ben Harper.
1: Hmm. I guess, I guess I'll bite first on this one. Um, I think you have too many defensive prospects that you'd rather have on the team at this point. I feel like Harper is able to come in and play a role. Um, I was really surprised that role involved being on the predators. Um, But with the AHL situation, I guess it made sense. So um, I'm going to say, You've probably got ten percent chance of him being back. I know they liked what he brought to the team, um, but I don't know. You you saw a lot of uh, a lot of issues that you could really clear up with some mm, fresher, maybe more talented defenders.
2: Uh, I I would go pre- uh, significantly higher than that. I th- I think it's like a fifty-fifty on on Ben Harper coming back, and that's really mostly just because John Hines likes him a lot. So. Play, played him five games in the series, played a lot down the stretch. He's an RFA, so he'll be cheap. They need cheap contracts. I think it's a pretty good shot that he makes it. Uh, I don't know how much he would play because, like, I think if they're really going to give uh, con- continue to give guys like Davies and Ferentz and even Lewington uh, a-, a shot next year, um, he probably won't play a lot. But I think he's probably back, and he'll be cheap. So,
0: yeah, I think it's a situation where he's probably going to at least start on the team uh so i'm gonna go i'm actually gonna go 90 percent on this wow I don't think they wow. like harper i don't i don't know if he finishes the season in nashville but i think he's definitely going to be on the roster at the start of next year do we want to waste time eric goodbranson or do we all just want to say zero percent
2: probably zero probably like maybe one one percent
0: yeah I'm. i'm with you on that one yeah it's you know, good good guy from all accounts, just uh, I don't think he's going to be a long-term thing. All right, who's ready to get juicy? Oh, let's do it. Ryan Johansson.
2: All right, so I think of all the options for who is going to play in Seattle next year, Ryan Johansson makes the most sense. Um, I don't want to go back through the whole expansion draft thing again, but I I think that there's a chance that he's the guy that goes to Seattle because that's what Seattle would need. They're okay taking on eight million dollars a year. It's only eight million dollars for four more years. I think that they'd probably be willing to do that. So I think it's less than a third. I think it's like well, let's say let's say a third. There's a thirty three point three 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 percent chance that he's on the Predators next year.
1: I, I would say. You know, I understand where your your percentage is coming from. I'm going to say 50-50 because I feel like uh, this is either the guy that goes to Seattle or they just go in a totally different direction.
0: I'm going to be a little more optimistic than both of you. I'm going to go 75% and we're going to get into why because I think the Preds are going to want somebody else on the expansion block. Um, but I also think that the Preds really like what they saw from Johansson, especially towards the end of the year. And I think they want to see what they have in that Forsberg-Johansson-Duchene combo. So I'm going to go 80% for Ryan Johansson. Um, this is a guy who we really didn't think would be on the roster this far a couple months ago, Matthias Ekholm. And there's I think some layers per- to this one.
2: Yeah, I think I think pretty high. I think um hmm, I seventy five percent that he'll be on the team. I
1: he this is a guy that you could realistically build a team around. I I think you know if you're if you are Seattle, this is a guy you could look at and say, oh, we need to get this guy. I mean, he has strong leadership potential. Um, you know, you, you could look at him as a potential captain in year one in Seattle, in my opinion. Um, and, and realistically, you know, he's a guy that is good for the room without being a detriment on the ice. Um, like there's a lot of guys you hear about being great in the locker room, but don't really bring much on the ice. I think he's everything you would want in the locker room as well as on the ice total package. So if you're the predators, as David Poyle said, he's not going to lose him in expansion. Um, I don't, I don't know that he ends up going anywhere else. I'm going to say 100% chance he's on the team next year.
2: Hmm.
0: I am going to go 75%. I'm leaning towards Sean just because I, I think they want him on the roster. I think they know how important he is. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made. He was the best defenseman on the team throughout the entire scope of the season. But he also has a contract coming up, and if there's any indication that he may not resign or maybe non-committal, you might need to pull the trigger on a trade. So not going 100%, but I think it's probably a 75% chance.
1: And I, I want to say, too, something about Eckholm is when he signed his last contract, it was very team-friendly. And he, he even made the comment that that was more than enough money for him, that he wasn't going to retire and go live some extravagant lifestyle. And so you've got to wonder – you know, he was willing to take the, uh, you know, the discount the first time around. Is he willing to take it the second time around if he really wants to stay in Nashville? And I I feel like of of just about anybody on the team that has the ability uh, and the skill to make big money, he's probably the one that would be the most willing to take that
0: team friendly deal. I don't disagree with you there. All right. Uh, Next up, another defenseman, Dante Fabro.
2: Um, so I, I think, I think it's pretty clear at this point, Alex Carrier has passed him. I know we talked a little bit about that, but, uh, you know, if, if they were to do the eight skaters route, for example, with Seattle, uh, I think they'd protect Alex Carrier before they protected Dante Fabro. Um, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean he's going to go to Seattle either. So, um, you know, he's a good defenseman. He's got, he's still got some growing to do. I, I think he's probably on the team. I think that they, they figure out a way to to not have him be taken by Seattle and they sign him because he's he's due a contract or just RFA rather. And I think he's on the team. I think probably pretty – I'd go pretty high. I mean 80%, 80,
1: 85%. I've got to wonder with some of the comments that were made, I don't remember who said it, but it was something about that he had a, a very large role in the future of this team. Um, and there's a part of me that wonders if that is that's like a total chess move in saying like this is the guy we're going to offload to you know make to sweeten the pot with with another team um you know in which case if if that's if that's it you know why are you not playing him in in the playoffs but um there there's a part of me that really feels like there may be something to that and so i'm going to say that there's a 57% chance that he's on this team next year okay
0: what are, you, what are we going to happen if we get to Matt Duchesne and he's not a 95% chance of coming back? There's decimals. There you go. Uh, uh, on Fabro, um, I I agree with Alex. I don't necessarily think he's a guy that they're going to rush to protect or bend over backwards to protect. And at the same time, I think if he's somebody who winds up on the expansion list, he's an attractive... Uh, an attractive option for Seattle to pick. But I don't think they're going to go that route. I am going to go 80% because I do think Dante Fabro has a has a place on the Predators' future. Uh, Matt Duchesne, the other big center and big contract that might be on the block.
2: Um, I, I feel pretty confident he's going to be back. Um, yeah, n- 95. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> oh, see what you're doing. Okay. Oh man. Well, okay, so the, just real quick the reason uh, like go, any any of the any of the stats people just go look at his on-ice impact, 5 on 5, like his shot charts. It's unreal. Like he had such a good underlying uh shot metrics like all over the place in the offensive zone last year and this year. It's it would be stupid not to have him back. Like he's 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 not the, the the demise has been greatly exaggerated.
1: I, I agree with that statement. Uh, what was if, if we can go back and I don't know if you wrote these down or not, and my memory is not that good. What percentage did you give Johansson of being on the team next year? Uh, me? Yeah, uh, a third, thirty three percent. Thirty. Okay, so you're you're kind of thinking along the lines of if they're going to jettison a an eight yeah. million dollar year contract, it's going to be Johansson's. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see where, I see where your head is. I, I was making sure that you didn't give a very high chance to both of those guys and say, so you think they're both going to be on the team because what are they going to do? And how are they going to have money to spend? But um, Sounds like yeah.
0: Alex prepared better than you did, Sean.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot I really did I really didn't actually. <laughs> but you know, you saying it and speaking it into existence makes everyone think that it's true. Um, I have a spreadsheet um i have stat. no i'm kidding i'm not prepared at all um but no the thing with duchein is i think you know exactly what alex said is true and you know this is a guy that okay so he didn't score 600 goals he had a really good season numbers wise he had a really good season if you look at the advanced stats this is a guy who's always doing on the ice exactly what you need done um so i think there's a strong chance he'll be back i you know somebody i'm not going to name any names took my took my percentage, which is just frustrating, but it's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to say there is a 95.95 percent chance
0: <laughs> that he's back on the team. I thought you were going to go like 95.01, like uh, um, price like right? the Price because is Right. That, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I won't. I won't say too much because I'm. I'm with you guys. I think they like Duchesne. I'm going to go 95 percent as well um okay here here's the big one victor arvidsson and i think we've hinted at some of this already oh
2: yeah i'm i i do not think he'll be back i think they're going to trade him um uh let's go let's go seven percent seven percent that he's on the team next year
1: can can i ask what makes you so sure they're going to trade him
2: I just don't. I don't see any any route for him to be on this team like moving forward. It doesn't. His he's struggled to make sense in the John Hines system. He's not a creator, and his only game is offense, and he can't create on his own. He's just a volume shooter that relies on playmakers to get him the puck, and those playmakers are worrying about themselves, like trying to generate offense. I think he's he's also a little bit, um, kind of coming down from his his uh, his thirty goal seasons. But I also think he's got a reasonable cap hit, and someone out there is going to want to take a chance. They need to trade him while his value is still pretty high. Um, and they have Rocco Grimaldi, who is a uh, kind of an, a different version of, of Victor Arvidsson—not not as skilled, but that definitely has the speed and the the forechecking ability to do that. And then uh, they have Rocco Grimaldi under contract, so I think I think Victor Arvidsson will be traded for several reasons.
1: Yeah, and I think too there's there's going to be a lot of teams out there who have forwards that cost a lot of money that aren't producing that might look at him as an option to say, you know, we could probably get about the same production out of this guy for a lot less money. Um so you you may be right. I I don't want to go I don't want to What 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 was the percentage you gave?
2: 7. 7? Seven? 7% Seven
0: I think I know where Sean's going with this. You're
1: fairly certain that he's going to be traded then. Okay. Well, I don't know. I I hate to commit to a number, but, you know, probably somewhere around. I mean, your number is pretty close. Um, Maybe 9.9%.
0: You didn't go 33% or 3.3?
1: I went... 3.3 times
0: 3. Wow. Okay. I just had to think Mm. about that to do the math in my head for a second. Sorry. Um, Remember when I said that I think the Preds are going to try to dangle somebody else on the expansion draft. I think it's Arvidsson. And whether, whether or not he winds up in Seattle or whether he gets traded I just, I don't see a spot for him long-term. I think Ellie Tolvanen is playing the role that they want Arvidsson to play, but he's playing a little better than Arvidsson, or at least has a little bit more upside in that um, in that spot. I also don't think Arvidsson has been the same since he's come back from the Bortuzzo hit. No. Um, and, and it's not even that he's lost a step. I think he's just playing a little bit different, uh, that the confidence to get to the net isn't there. He's a guy that I think still has a lot to offer a team, I just think he needs a change of scenery to do that. Um, I'm going to go ten percent, ten percent for. So
1: your your price is writing me. In other words,
0: yes, well, that <laughs> okay. that's what you get for doing the three points. Oh,
1: times fine, whatever. I was trying to be creative.
0: Uh, this is this can go either way. Philip Forsberg. Is anybody going to make a big pitch about him maybe being moved? No. Go
1: ahead,
2: go ahead Sean. No, I'm not.
1: I don't think he's going to be moved.
2: No, he will be hundred percent. I, I would go right right alongside with Roman Yossi. hundred percent Philip Forsberg will be on the team next year. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna say ninety five just because of the contract situation. Who knows what's gonna happen? Uh, but but I agree. I think they are going to move hell in high water to try to get Philip Forsberg to stay a long time. So yeah. Actually I'll go higher than ninety five. I'll I'll go ninety eight percent on Forsberg. Um, this is a situation we talked about earlier. Alex Carrier, expansion eligible.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think he'll be on the team. Um, I, I, I think that they would even protect him. I think that if it came down to it, they protect him over Fabro. So I'd say whatever I said for Ekholm, I think I said 80 something. So probably 80, 85% that Alex Carrier is on the team. I'm
1: trying to think of a creative number. Well, you know, I'm I'm with you on that. I'd say the exact same thing you said, Alex. I think <laughs> I think there's a strong chance that he's going to be on the team. I think they liked what they saw out of him enough that they would probably be willing to protect him. Um even over Fabro.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say 80% on Carrier for the loan purpose or for the loan reason that it's not 90% or higher is that if for some reason David Poyle can't get a deal done with Seattle, then I think Carrier is, is somebody who might be on the block and is somebody I think Seattle would target. Um, yeah. But that's it. Same vein, uh, Colton Sissons.
2: Um, yeah, I don't, I, I can't see them trading him. I can't see him being selected by Seattle. Uh, he's obviously under contract for a long time. He's got a reasonable cap hit. A big part of the fourth line. I'd go 90%. 90% he's on the team. I can
1: I can see that argument. And I, it's a name that I've heard several people say, oh, they might lose Sissons. They might lose Sissons. But I, I don't think that you sign him to the contract you sign him to, be, and not, not so much for the price, but for the term on it, and, and think that that's a piece you're going to move. Not not so much because, you know, oh, well, you want him on the team forever, but because I don't know that an expansion team is going to want to take on that long of a contract. Um, it just seems like a bit much to, to put down or a long commitment to someone who's been playing on the fourth line. And I think, too, you know, he's someone that has been on the team for a long time, has been through the ups and downs with the team, and is familiar enough with how things need to be done to to do things quote unquote the predator way that he's someone now that has is a veteran presence that works really well with the youth when they come up and i think that's going to be very valuable to the team
0: moving forward
1: so i'd say you know somewhere between
0: 90 and 95 i'm gonna go 90 percent again possible expansion target i don't see seattle picking him but at the same time it also depends on who else is available around the league. And if they need a bottom pair guy, it's hard to find another one who's been as consistent as Colton Sissons in that situation. Uh, two more Cali Yarncroak. Anybody see him going anywhere?
2: Um, No, they, <laughs> they, they already protected the guy from one, uh, one Seattle draft. And I know it's not only about that, but, or expansion draft rather, but um now he's back. Cal Croak is back ninety percent.
1: There's nothing nothing I can do creatively unless I put his number backwards and make it 91%. Well, there we go.
0: Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Gonna go, gonna go 90% on yarn Croak for same reasons we've talked about with other players. Uh last one. Get the tissues out. Oh, God. Pekka What do we see his future looking like?
2: So, my, I, uh, I think, obviously we're answering, is he going to be back on the Predators? I think it's pretty low. I, th- I think, nothing above 10%. Um, and that's obviously, that's changed because I think, I think at one point in the year, you know, no one knew it wasn't, wasn't clear, but that last game, like it just had that fine, that the, the sort of air of finality to it. I mean, like he didn't have to, you know, do all that and wave and, and take it in and skate around. Like he kind of just had that happen. Like he could have just been like, no, I'm, I'm going back inside. We're, we're, we're done here because he did that. I feel like he does feel like it's the end. He's just being cagey with his answers on how, what he's going to do. No idea where he's going to be, but I, I think it's pretty unlikely that he's back in Nashville next year. Not, not as a skate. Now, some people have have made the, the guess that he's going to come back and work with the predators in some capacity, a goal goalie coach or talent scout, or what, I don't know what else. Um, maybe that happens, but not as a, not as a player, not as a goaltender uh, on the ice.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit older than Pecorine. Um, I think by three years, is he 38 now? Is that right? Yeah, I'm three years older than, than Pecorine and, you know, my kids are older than his kids. And I can only imagine that if I, you know, three years ago had my first child and I was at that point in in a career that takes me away from home. Um, quite often and requires a lot of my time outside of me actually doing my job that requires that much of a commitment. Um, you know, Pekka loves Finland. He, he goes back all the time. Um, I, I feel like he's, maybe he's at a point where he's ready to say, you know what? I've got a son. Um, I've got a family. It's time. It's time to go back to Finland for a while and just be a dad and not to, um, not to UC, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> an, an actual father to my son Here and for I, his
0: son, juicy sorrows,
1: you know, he's, he's made pretty good money. I, I don't think it's a situation where he's like, if I could just squeeze one or two more years out, you know, maybe $2 million a year, I'd be set. I think he's fine. And I think, you know, uh, he's, he's got to on some level know that if it's, if it is the glory of a Stanley cup that he's chasing, that it probably doesn't come next season. Um, at least not in Nashville and so I feel like if, if at this point in your career with a brand new child, um, do you really want to move to another city and start over as far as is playing? Probably not. And so I feel like this is his, his opportunity to make a, a very, uh, graceful exit from the stage and just go back and be a dad for a while. I'm going to say have to give a percentage. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty low, you know, maybe, maybe 10, 15, something like that.
0: Three point five was right there, man.
1: Yeah, so it's too low.
0: Yeah, i I was on the fence about this because towards the, everybody kind of thought this was going to be Pekka's last year before the season even started. Um, there was reports coming out that he's going to look in Finland. Um, you know, the press countered that by saying they haven't talked contract. You know, they're going to talk see if there's any interest there, but just everything about that last game seemed like a farewell, not just for the fans where, where Pekka took a lap, but you look at how his teammates were responding, you know, giving him the curtain call and coming in back out to give him the big send off. I, I think this is it for Pekka in Nashville. I, I think he, I don't think he stays in the NHL because I don't think he wants to play for a team other than the Preds. I, I think he goes back to Finland for a couple of years, kind of do what Pavel Datsuk did, raise the family in his homes, uh, home country. And and that's fine. Uh, I, I think that's the way Pekka Rene got his, his send-off. You couldn't write a Hollywood script better than that. So I'm going to say Rene leaves on a high note, and I'm going to say 3.5%. He's back next year. If if you, there you go john i was gonna take it
1: okay fine it's yours all right.
0: all right well that's our that's our uh list everybody and uh i think that's probably a good place to wrap up the show
1: we haven't we haven't even argued about food
0: i know it's alex you missed the entire uh french fry debate oh what was that oh we're, okay we're, i'm just gonna how gonna, much
1: time do you have
0: I'm going to phrase this just straight up so we can get a straight up answer. What do you think of McDonald's fries?
2: I like them. Thank you. <sighs> Did you I, they're, gonna, not my, they're not my favorite, but I enjoy, I enjoy them. You're going to mute my microphone, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Well, are you, I'm going to erase you from this entire podcast. No. This will just be Nick and Alex.
1: Nick and Alex's McDonald's fry fan podcast.
0: Yeah. Like I so, said, we're, tri- we're trying to get a sponsorship from somebody.
1: Well, I prefer the uh I prefer the meat choices at Arby's. I hear they have the meats. If, if there's if
0: there's if there's anybody else out there who wants to sponsor us, if there's look, a- if,
1: if there is a barbecue company, a barbecue restaurant, look I will come eat your barbecue and I will talk about it a
0: lot. Peg leg um, porker. Anybody day.
1: Just dude Somebody, on a yeah. dude on the corner with uh with, uh, you know, a smoker. like I don't care if you want me to talk about your barbecue. Just just hit me up on the Twitter.
0: I thought you were going to go when you mentioned the uh, guy in the corner. I thought you were going to go the hot dog guy. That's always up there on like Third Avenue.
1: Huh. There's a hot dog guy on Third Avenue. There is a
0: hot dog guy. Oh, I've had them before.
1: Well sounds good i'll eat that too it's not barbecue but whatever Uh or wrap that hot dog in bacon and we're talking
0: that sounds like either state fair fodder or something i eat if i want to get myself a fatal heart attack
1: oh well that's ugly but whatever
0: that's a, that's a good note to end on. <laughs> hey everybody. That's our show. Uh, Alex, thank you for joining us. We had a lot of fun with you on, uh, um, yeah, of course. Where, where can the find people find you?
2: Um, so, well, currently I'm in hibernation until hockey season again, so you can't find me anywhere, but if you must, uh, just find me on Twitter at Alex one and hockey coverage at a to Z sports, Uh, Obviously, in the off season, we don't put out as much stuff. But of course, like you know, around the big events, draft, expansion draft, free agency, all that stuff, we'll we'll have stuff out for that. But um, in general, you can catch me back in action in in October.
0: Sean, where can the good people find you at?
1: the The good people can find me on the Twitter at scsotf, and of course, you can find me at ontheforecheck.com dot I will also say, um, I, I put this out on Twitter, kind of at a loss for what I can, what I should be talking about here. I mean, I know there's end of the season stuff for the Preds. So if you've got some ideas, uh, you know, again, people have recommended I start talking about, about brisket, about barbecue. Um, somebody recommended bourbon, all things that start with B. Uh, I'm not a drinker, so I'd have to pass that off to someone else who is. But a lot of good ideas out there. If you have any more, throw them my way. I'll see what I can do.
0: That sounds like the Chris Martell episode.
1: We need yeah, to have I on, think that sounds think right.
0: He's he's the resident bourbon master. Um, you can literally, find me, literally, yes, you can find me uh, underscore NS Morgan on Twitter. Um, I'm also running the on the forecheck Twitter account now. So if you see any terrible takes from that account, you're welcome. Um,
1: it's not an if; it's a win.
0: Yes, that is very true. Uh, there's been a lot of memes and back and forth. Uh, I'm I'm the soft guy, everybody. I'm the guy who's soft. Oh, but uh, same boat. We'll have uh, some draft coverage coming up. Uh, I've got a piece about off-season priorities for David Poyle, so check that out in a couple of days. Yeah, it's it's the off-season, folks. It's going to be a lean one. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. Be sure to share, subscribe, whatever you need to do, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs.